You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Now, I hope that you're all having a wonderful Holy Week and we're all looking forward to Easter Sunday. For today's show, I'm very excited uh, about it. Now, we've all heard of Fatima and Lourdes and Guadalupe, but there are a number of other Marian apparitions that have occurred in the last 40 years or so that are fully approved by the Church, but not many Catholics have heard about them or are familiar with them. A couple weeks ago, we did uh, a program on uh, the apparitions in Batania, Venezuela, and believe it or not, all four of the cases that have been approved by the Church in the last 40 years actually come from South America. So in addition to the Venezuela, we had some in Argentina and also Brazil. And today is the 34th anniversary of yet another Church-approved apparition, which occurred in Cuapa, Nicaragua in 1980. A Church sacristan named Bernardo Martinez, he entered his, the old chapel that he served, and he saw a supernatural light illuminating from a statue there of the Blessed Virgin. Later, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to him clothed in white, and she asked for the people of Nicaragua to return to prayer. She also warned of some future sufferings for Nicaragua if people didn't change. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, Silvio Sirias. He's the author of the book Bernardo and the Virgin. And he's going to give us some insight and some background on the history of this fascinating apparition. And of course, in just a bit, We'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, uh, April 15th, Tax Day, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. This week in Miracle News, uh, we heard a couple of reports uh, on the Internet uh, this week, instances of weeping images. Now, it's important to remember that the majority of these cases have natural causes or are hoaxes, but there have been a few, even one approved by the Pope. Uh, these recent cases may not be the real thing, but we're going to report on them anyway. So there was this unverified instance that occurred in Indiana last week uh, where the stain of a, of, of a weeping statue was seen by many people, and they did not find the source of that. But the more interesting case was one that's occurring in Australia. We have the story of an 82-year-old woman named Julie Zamit, who says she's seeing drops of oil appearing on an icon of St. Mary MacKillop. Uh, she says she never touches the picture, and it happens by itself, and uh, she can't explain it or doesn't know what it means. 
Um, she houses a shrine of notable saints and popes uh, with flowers and candles against the wall in her living room, but the oil droplets uh, appear only on that one image and their absence from anywhere else in the, in the house, the wall, or anywhere else in the shrine. It was a picture given to her uh, 20 years ago by some nuns, and she reported this to the local parish. An initial investigation has begun, and the initial results are inconclusive. Uh, they cannot determine the source of the tears of oil. So we'll find out more on that story. If you want to follow this story, uh, please visit uh, the news page on MiracleHunter.com. And to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. So now we're going to turn to the mailbag, or the email inbox, as it were. And this week we have a question from Antonis, who writes, Hello, Miracle Hunter. What can you tell me about the great miracle of Our Lady of Covadonga? Thank you, Antonis. Uh, well, good question. Uh, this is a actually quite a popular devotion in Spain. It's one of the oldest devotions, Our Lady of Covadonga. It's a title of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and there's a shrine there devoted to her at Covadonga in the province of Asturias, which is in northwest Spain. The Spanish shrine rose to prominence following the Battle of Covadong in 722, in which the Moors invaded Spain, and they resisted that invasion. There was a statue of the Virgin Mary that was secretly hidden in one of the caves, both to protect it, but they also prayed to it for uh, assistance in this battle. Uh, the belief is that Our Lady miraculously aided the Christians in a victory as a landslide of rocks out of nowhere decimated the Moorish forces. Our Lady of Covadonga is the patron of Asturias, and the basilica there houses the current statue, which Pope John Paul II visited the shrine uh, to honor her there. So thanks very much for your question, Antonis. And if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please email questions at miraclehunter.com, and we'll select one question each week to be read on the air. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork titled The Faces of Mary. Now, this is the same image that we've been giving away in weeks past. You can see an example of it at MiracleHunter.com. It is a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host trivia night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. Now, we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program. Today, we're going to be talking about a man named Bernardo and his apparition. So here's a question about some other Bernards. What famous prayer, commonly attributed to St. Bernard of Clairvaux, 
was popularized by Father Claude Bernard. Again, that question is, what famous prayer, commonly attributed to St. Bernard of Clairvaux, was popularized by Father Claude Bernard? For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. For more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now, each week we do a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary, and for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. Now, I've collected all the dates with their feasts into one resource uh, called that 365 Days with Mary, and each entry features images, a description, and history of the feast day, along with prayers and information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for anyone wishing to see those places. So if you're in a country and you want to see Marian shrines of that country, visit 365 Days with Mary and search under that country's name, and you'll see all the shrines in that area. Now, the project's available in print as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day, every day of the year, and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook, and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version, in the form of a daily organizer, makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, on today's program, we're going to be commemorating the Virgin of Quapa's first apparition. So this, for this segment now, we're going to look at a feast day from yesterday. Uh, Santa Marian Camelin in Hagatra, Guam. So various local traditions agree that long ago, a Chamorro fisherman named Balang noticed lights in the sea which turned out to be two crabs with lit candles on their backs, flanking a statue of the Virgin. So that's the legend. Uh, Babang brought the 29-inch statue to the garrison where he served in the local militia, and uh, he built an enclosure out of ironwood. And the statue has a face and hands of ivory and actually has real human hair, believe it or not. And the Virgin stands without the child in a prayerful pose representative of the Immaculate Conception uh, imagery. On April 14, 1825, an earthquake struck the island. Now, crediting Nuestra Señora del Camarín with their survival, people for years after, afterward would light candles outside their windows on the eve of this date in commemoration. In 1826, the image moved to the cathedral of the sweet name of Mary, Dulce Nombre de Maria, and on March 25, 1985, Pope John Paul II designated the church a Basilica Minor. Once a year, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, the statue comes down from its niche high above the altar and processes through the capital. This was an official holiday until the year 2002, but then the government eliminated it, along with many others. But on December 8th of that year, the super typhoon Pongsona hit the island, after which Our Lady's holiday was reinstated. 
the Chamorro people call Guam's patron saint Santa Marian Camelin. And that was today's feast, Santa Marian Camelin from Hagatna, Guam. Be sure to visit 365 Days with Mary to see the project or go on Facebook to find out more about this devotion or any other of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. Now we have somebody calling in with an answer to the trivia question. I'll repeat that question again. That was, what famous prayer commonly attributed to St. Bernard of Clairvaux was popularized by Father Claude Bernard? Uh, Amanda, do you have the answer? Uh, the Memorari? You are correct. The answer is the Memorari. And where are you calling from today, Amanda? Iway, Louisiana. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the call. You got the correct answer, and we'll be sending you an image of the faces of Mary. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for calling in. Thank you so much. <laughs> and the answer to the question uh, that Amanda got correct was the Memorari, and that's, uh, of course, a, a prayer uh, to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it comes from the Latin word remember, uh, which is frequently misattributed to, to the 12th century Cistercian monk, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, I guess that's due to the confusion with his name, with Father Claude Bernard, uh, who attributes that he learned it from his father. It's all part of a longer 15th century prayer. So that was the Catholic Pub Trivia answer. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. As mentioned earlier in the show, today is the 34th anniversary of a church-approved apparition occurring in Cuapa, Nicaragua, in 1980. In this apparition, uh, sacristan Bernardo Martinez entered an old chapel, and he observed a supernatural light illuminating a statue of the Virgin. She later appeared to him, and asked for the people of Nicaragua to return to prayer. Now, today's guest uh, is Silvio Sirias. He's the author of the book, Bernardo and the Virgin. He's a Nicaraguan-American, originally from Los Angeles, and re- has received a doctorate in Spanish from the University of Arizona. Now, he's published numerous scholarly articles relating to Latin America, but his first novel is Bernardo and the Virgin, which is a work of fiction based on the real-life experiences of the visionary Bernardo Martinez. We'd like to welcome to the show today, Silvio Sirius. Hi, Michael. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Panama. Uh, that's well, where I reside now. Welcome. That's what, that's what I thought. And thank you so much for, for calling in from that long distance. We're excited to have you on the show. Um, now, you're, you're the author of the book, Bernardo and the Virgin, and uh, this is a work of fiction. Can you tell us how you uh, transitioned from some of your scholarly writings and decided to, to write a, a novel about, about this apparition? Well, uh, I had been writing, as you mentioned, scholarly work, but uh, I'd always had this dream of uh, publishing novels. And I was teaching at universities in the United States, and I was specializing in the field of U.S. Latino literature, literature that's written in the United States in English, but by writers of Latin American heritage like myself. 
and I started this process of interviewing writers for a book, and I just realized how much fun they were having. The other side is that as a as as someone who was teaching in this field, I was frustrated of not finding any books that spoke uh, about my own heritage, that of the Nicaraguan American. I sure. wanted to include these in readings, and I, there wasn't a single novel. So at that point, I sort of looked at myself in the mirror and thought, well, maybe I'm the one who's supposed to write it. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what I did, and I haven't regretted the decision since. That's great, and it, uh, I, I bet there was sort of a mental shift that had to happen to go from scholarly writing to, to writing a novel, um, uh, and, and so we're, we're glad that you did. And obviously, as you know, today is the anniversary of the first apparition of Our Lady of Quapa, and that's a, that's a vision that you know many Catholics are not familiar with. They know some of these stories of Lourdes and Fatima and Guadalupe, uh, but they don't know about uh, Our Lady of Quapa. I was hoping that you could... Tell us a little bit of the history today about uh, about that apparition. Uh, yes. Uh, in, in 1980, Nicaragua had just been through a tremendous... Uh, they'd been through an uprising against a 50-year-old dictatorship at, at a tremendous human cost, uh, close to 30,000 dead in that uprising. And... Uh, the country had just made a transition from a dictatorship of the right to a socialist experiment of the left, of the far left. And in between this, the, even the clergy became very divided. Uh, those who embraced liberation theology and were very sympathetic towards the Sandinista government, and then those of the more traditional church uh, who just wanted to stay the course and were kind of leery as events as, as they were evolving. In all this, in a, Guapa was a small little town, more like a village, disconnected from, from, from the world almost. Uh, there was a 12-mile stretch of uh, dirt road awful conditions that kept them from the main highway. So very few people ventured out there to Guapa. Mm. And uh, there was Bernardo Martinez, somebody who was approaching his 50s, who had been since childhood devoted to, uh, to Mary mm-hmm. and uh, dreamt of being a priest, but never could get into the seminary because he didn't learn to read until he was 17 years old. And by that mm. time, he had already assumed adult responsibilities. And uh, but he volunteered as the sacristan of the church, and one night, and and this is the anniversary that, that we're commemorating. One night, um, but people kept on reporting that the lights of the church were being left on, mm. and and since he was responsible for the building, he was a little bit upset by this. So. Uh, when he got, uh, they, they were going to pray the rosary one night, and he was going to lead the group. The, there wasn't a parish priest. Uh, the nearest priest was in the town of Huigalpa, over an hour away on that terrible highway. So he was often the one leading uh, uh, prayer services. So what he did is uh, he got there a little bit early, saw that there was a glow inside the church, went inside, and there was an image of the Immaculate Conception. 
a very rustic image, I might add. Mm. And he had actually, as a youth, he had been involved in purchasing it. It had been part of the larger church in Huigalpa, and he, as a youth, held a fundraiser so the church in Guapa could have that image. So he had known that image since he was a boy. And so he, he himself was involved with bringing that very image to the church through his... He, uh, he himself, yeah, he was the leader in organizing. Uh, he had gone to visit uh, the church in Huigalpa. He must have been about, oh, he must have been about 15, 16 years old, and the priest told him that they were going to burn the image because that's what's done with old, old church images that are being mm-hmm. out because a new one was coming from Spain. And sure. this is a wood image. So he, he couldn't bear it. So he uh, he asked the priest, how much, what would it take for us to get it in uh, in Guapa? And the priest put a price on it, and mm-hmm. he he brought the whole town together to raise the money to buy it and made sure that it was transported to, that her image was transported to, to Guapa, and he had been the caretaker. Uh, and so he had, he had a love of Our Lady from a very young age, it sounds like. Oh, since, since he was a boy, since he was a child, he had a love for her. Uh, totally devoted, and 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 the odd thing is that this doesn't manifest itself uh, in a reciprocal way, so to speak, until he's almost fifty. Mm. And uh, and on this night, it's uh, the, the there's a glow in the church. He walks in. He's trying to figure out what the glow is, and the glow leads straight to her image. And he notices that she looks very different, almost lifelike, mm. and. Uh, He's searching for the for the uh, for the source of the light, and finally touches the image, and he says that he felt a shock. But it that, but it was a a, a a delightful shock. It was more like an inner shock. Mm. Soon after that, the glow died, and he. But then afterwards, he became overcome with this urge to tell everybody what had happened. And while the people came to pray the rosary, a small group of about 20, he also had this urge, and he says that it was out of his control, to cleanse himself, to confess, to Mm -hmm. tell each one of them what he had done wrong to them and to ask for their forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And after that happened, he felt an enormous sense of peace, but everybody in the town was kind of leery. uh, doubtful of you know is he losing his mind is he <laughs> sure. and uh, and the word got to the priest and he told the priest about it and the priest said okay well the next time something like that happens to you and if she if something like this should manifest ask her ask the blessed mother what she wants and that's the first time it rings in Bernardo's mind that she may have been trying to communicate with him. And mm. that, that, that was the first, that was the first contact between the two. And, uh, and what were, how long, how long did these, uh, visions last and, and what, what, uh, messages were, were being communicated to Bernardo? Uh, the, the, the messages were, there's one message that's consistent that she repeats to him almost every time that she appears. Uh, the first one happened in April of 1980. Then the first time they have a conversation was May 8th of 1980. 
mm-hmm. when he went out to a pasture, and the pasture is now the sanctuary where she actually appeared to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was out there alone when there were... He, he was feeling... He, he, it was a difficult time in Nicaragua. People were very divided, and he was a town, one of the leaders in town, and he was feeling very conflicted about many things, mm-hmm. and there was an inner tor- turmoil going out, um, so that's when he decided to just go out, leave the town, and go out to a piece of land that he owned when they had a couple cows there, and it's next to a river, and uh, he just went, did a little fishing, uh cut some fruit off trees, then went under a tree, took a nap, and um, he was heading back home when uh, he was coming towards a morisco tree, which is a a local tree of the tropics, and uh, and he was approaching, there was a flash of light, Mm -hmm. and he thought it was, he thought it was thunder, he thought it was lightning. Mm-hmm. And he, he looks up, and it's a clear day. It's absolutely clear, so he cannot yeah. explain it. Mm-hmm. Then there's a second flash of light, and he, he he looks up again, but this time there's a cloud. And it's an unusual cloud that he said is descending before him. Mm. And he knows there's a presence within that cloud. He speaks about being absolutely terrified of this presence and and of just falling on his knees and not wanting to look up. But then he said, when the when the cloud finally descended, right on it's a, it was a small tree, right on this tree, and he's on his knees. He looks up, and she's there, and he says she's absolutely beautiful. Mm. It's, 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 it's the most beautiful vision, he's a beautiful thing he's he's ever seen. And can you describe to us how Bernardo relates uh, the description of the vision? I mean, I, I think. In all these various apparitions of Our Lady, she appears in different, uh, she has different appearances, uh, and everybody describes her differently. What was Bernardo's uh, take on, on what he experienced? Well, let, uh, I, I, let me see. Uh, I should be able to find it rather quickly. Because uh, one of the things, when I, when I wrote the novel, Bernardo was still alive, and I had the privilege of meeting him. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, and, and, and he was good friends with my father, and that's how I was drawn into the story. Mm. And uh, so I, uh, I... And the one thing he asked me to... I, I told him, this is going to be a novel. You know, a novelist, we lie. I'm going to be making up stuff. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> that, uh, and, and since he had come late to reading, he wasn't quite sure what I was talking about. Uh, well, the the distinction between fiction and and writing wasn't something mm-hmm. that he was he was grasping very easily, mm-hmm. and he said uh, he said two things that astounded me. Uh, first, he said, "Okay, one, I don't care what you write, as long as you promise me that you're going to keep true to the moments of the apparitions." Mm, so okay. I, I I kept that promise to him. Okay, I, I, I there's a document. And I followed it very, very closely. The document. I just, I just did some literary flourishes, but really, uh, it's all linguistic. I didn't change the content at all. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing is, when I asked for his blessing, he said, uh, "I said, you know, do I have your permission?" And he just smiled at me and he said, uh, "You know what? My permission doesn't matter. She told me a while back that you were going to write this story." 
Oh, okay. I, I, it still sends chills down my spine when I think of it, you know? Okay. <laughs> now, uh, I, I have a, a note here. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, Bernardo, was he ordained a priest later in life? He was ordained a priest later in life. He went through a lot. Part of the novel is the odyssey that came, because he, he, was, he became, the Virgin of Quapa became the litmus test of whether one supported the revolution or not. Really? Can, can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, uh, Nicaragua was divided, polarized. Mm-hmm. And uh, the socialist government, the Sandinista government, felt that the Virgin of Guapa was a threat. Mm. That she was something created by conservative Catholics to uh, band together the opposition against them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there were the traditional Catholics who rallied behind the Virgin of Quapa as a symbol of stay by the stay by the faith, you know, yep. go towards sure. liberation theology. Sure. Bernardo became the the rope and the tug of war. Mm-hmm. So he 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 was he was interrogated. He was put in prison, uh, although he never admitted it to me. But I spoke to his confessor, who assures me that Bernardo was tortured while in prison. Wow. Uh, and then after the Sandinistas lost the election in 1990, he was still not ordained a priest. Then it was like some sectors saw that he had already fulfilled this mission. So they were mm. going to put him aside, you know, be happy being a deacon. But there was one bishop who stood up and said, no, I'm going to ordain this man. He has really done so much for us. Wow. And, and he completed all his coursework with difficulty. Sure. But uh, but he became a priest when he was 63 years old. Wow. But uh, I, I have the description here okay. Uh, okay. Uh, using as, as words as closely as possible. Okay. He says, on my knees and no longer frightened, I stared in wonder. I first noticed her bare feet. All I could really see were her toes, but they were perfect, slender, and straight. She wore a long white dress, long-sleeved and modest, with a wide, light blue ribbon tied around the waist. A cream-colored shawl covered her head. The cloth was wrapped loosely around her neck. It hung over her shoulder and reached all the way down to her knee. The ends of the shawl were embroidered in a splendid gold thread. Uh, our, Our mother's skin was white radiant, and it shone like glass. Framing her head like a halo was a crown made up of twelve sparkling stars. Her hands were clasped in front of her chest, which made her look extremely peaceful. And that's basically a translation of the way Bernardo had described her. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and for looking that up for us. Uh, yeah, what a, what a description there. And um, and and that that's that's fascinating that your father knew him personally and that you in fact got to interview him. What can you what can you tell us about uh, Bernardo? His personality, his demeanor, how he carried himself, uh, how how his life of faith, how it showed through. What what how would you describe Bernardo? Well, by the time he, I met Bernardo, he was already ordained a priest, and uh, so. Uh, and he had he was very well known in Nicaragua, ridiculed by some 
and uh, glorified by others. Mm. And Nicaragua continues to be a very polarized country. And, 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 and the Virgin, the apparition of the Virgin, is, is, if you read books on the history of Nicaragua, in the 80s it became the test of what side a uh, person had chosen to be on. All Amazing. you had to ask was, do you believe in the apparition? <laughs> yes, you were against wow. the government. If you said no, you were for the government. Yes, that's amazing. So uh, it, it is. It, it played an important part. That's why I wanted to write a story. I have been wanting to write a story of the history of Nicaragua because I moved there when I was an adolescent, having been born in Los Angeles. And I, the, the, I fell in love with the country, with the people, with their stories. So I wanted to write a panoramic story. When I met Bernardo... Uh, his story gave me a perfect vehicle to talk about Nicaragua in the second half of the 20th century. Just tell the whole story mm-hmm. and, and wrap it around him. He was, he was a simple man. Uh, he was a tailor by trade. Okay. But, uh, and, and since he wasn't well educated, uh, uh, he, he, was, he was extremely clever. And he had great common sense. But he did, never came across as speaking as a priest with a great academic background. Mm-hmm. It was just a priest of the people. Very, very, very simple. Uh, human like the rest of us. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't one of these people that you, may, you meet and you say, oh, wow, what a great saint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he had his flaws and he, had his, he, had his, he, he was very human. But whenever he spoke about the apparition... And whenever he spoke about La Virgen de Guapa, he would become transformed. You would see it in his face. Mm-hmm. He would just go somewhere else and just talk. And at that point, he could hold anybody. I saw him hold entire audiences wrapped as he's talking about his intimate exchanges with her. Wow. And, and audiences would just sit there in rapture. And 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 I I would look around the room or I would look around the church building and I would say wow this this is when he really this is when he really really hits another dimension as a human being that you know that he experienced something some contact with uh, I guess we would call it the divine. Sure, and and how that impacted his life and uh, the lives of those who have ex- who accepted his story unquestionably in Nicaragua. There's an image of La Virgen de Cuapa in every single cathedral, really? in the country. Yes, mm. uh, every single one you go, and there are devotees there uh, visiting her image, uh, asking for favors, and it's something that just started in this little village of Cuapa and has just spread through Nicaragua. And it's still, uh, today, what's curious is the, the effect that Bernardo still has, even though he's been dead now for, oh, a good, a good 15 years, mm-hmm. is that uh, he, it's still sort of the litmus test. Right now, the Sandinistas are back in power. What they've done, they've now done a contrition. They've regretted. Uh, Daniel Ortega and his wife have uh, said that they regret the aggressive attitude they took against, against the church in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. come back. They've confessed uh, mm-hmm. before the, for, uh, the, uh, the Cardinal Orlando. 
Uh, he married them because they were never married. Mm-hmm. And now what they're doing is they're promoting uh, devotion to the Immaculate Conception, which is the patron saint uh, 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 of uh, Nicaragua. Mary, uh, Nicaragua is a very, very extremely Marian country. Mm-hmm. I even heard one priest once say that he's concerned about Nicaragua because they're, they're much more Marian than they are devoted to, to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the patron saint is uh, the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. Well, the Virgin of Quapa did not, there, there was no competition. The people were able to accept both. I mean, sure. There was, there was plenty of room for both. That's but, right. Uh, what I've noticed is that the Sandinista government is really trying to push the traditional and trying to push the, uh, the, uh, the belief in our Virgin of Quapa to the side mm. today at present. Because it's, it's, again, they see it as a political danger to them. Uh, anybody who holds power in Nicaragua, it's always very tenuous. So, uh, and there's, there's this little game being played. The previous president, before uh, Daniel Ortega came back to power, Enrique Bolaños, was a tremendous believer of the Virgin of Cuapa. And in his presidency, he went there three times to visit to the apparition site. Wow. So you, you see how she plays into the lives of uh, of Nicaragua. It's 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 a fascinating story to to observe. Interesting. And uh, let, let's let's reel back to the uh, the moment of the apparition when this happened. How in all these apparition stories, you can go through history: Guadalupe, Lourdes, Fatima. Um, the local authorities and the local. Um, Church authorities aren't always receptive right away to these claims of apparitions, and even the townspeople around they may or not may not be accepting. What can you tell us about how that uh, ha- how it went from Bernardo uh, having his experience to him telling the people, and how they eventually began to believe, and how the the bishop there began to believe? What's the how did how did that flow go? Mm-hmm. Uh, the people at the town itself were were divided initially. Uh, a lot of them ridicule him, ridiculing him, saying that he's lost it. And uh, But others believe, because they've known Bernardo a lifetime, say, well, this, this is a guy, you know, after 50 years, he just doesn't lose it like that. You know, this is a guy that we've known mm-hmm. to be very, very stable. Sure. So in town, there's a bit of a division. He... He tells the parish priest, or no, actually he doesn't tell the parish priest. Somebody from the town tells the parish priest, who lives in another city, Huigalpa. She got on a bus the next day and went and told him, you know, Bernardo just said this to us. Hmm. And the priest, when he came to celebrate Mass, uh, the next time he came to town to celebrate Mass, asked Bernardo, do you have something to tell me? And Bernardo tried to avoid it. No. Uh, uh, he tried not to, he said, you know, I, I, I really just, that this happened one night, I don't feel comfortable talking about it. This is the first, the first time she glowed, mm-hmm. you know, because he wasn't quite sure what he meant. So finally he broke down, he told the priest about it, and that's when the priest told him, okay, uh, something happens again, tell me first, don't tell anybody else, please. And they left it at that. Then there was this apparition on, on the pasture, which was the first time that she actually appears to him with a message and tells him, I want you to be my messenger. I want you to go out and tell people what I'm telling you. 
And so he goes to town. No, he, he fights it. He knows he's going to be the laughingstock. Mm-hmm. He actually does not want to say anything mm-hmm. until he feels that inside it's consuming him, and he just has to. He just goes to church one day and tells everybody what happens. Uh, or he calls a meeting at the church. He, uh, he talks to some friends. Remember, there wasn't a local parish priest. Okay. He talks to some friends. The friends tell the people of town to come. They come. He tells them what happened. Half the church snickers at him. The other half are on their knees saying, this is wonderful. And um, and then he goes to tell the priest himself what happened. And the priest doesn't believe him. Mm. Bernardo says the initial reaction of the priest, he told me, that was that uh, it was of non-belief. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, well, he says, you know, you was, yeah, I told you last time to please don't tell anybody, tell me first. And, mm-hmm. and But, okay, now that you've done it, let's keep it at that. Any, anything else happens, keep it a secret. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until the, uh, and then there were other apparitions. Some appear in some of the apparitions occur in dreams. Oh, okay. In extremely vivid dreams, mm-hmm. where he is having a dream within a dream, and he knows that he's dreaming. So he's very conscious and aware of what's happening in his dreams. And she shows him a movie of the history of the of the rosary. Mm-hmm. It's like a, he described it like on a movie screen. Mm-hmm. Where the, the 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 first Christians, the first to pray the Rosary, uh, the first Franciscans to have rosaries, and then people that of the modern era, and she's telling him, you know, praying the Rosary is very important, and he felt akin to the people in the modern era. But then when he looks at his skin, it looks awful compared to the the the, the cleanliness, the pureness of these people on the screen. So he realizes at that point that, oh my gosh, I'm not... And she tells him, mm. you're not ready to go there yet. Mm. So he tells the priest about these dreams, and the priest said, you know, keep it to yourself. Then there's one, uh, the, uh, it's called the fourth apparition, where she tells okay. him, I'm going to be here on this day. Uh, I'm going to be at the site, okay. um, the pasture. And you... Um, uh, show up. I'll be there. Well, he shows up. Some people show up because they want to see her. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. But he says he, he he says that he felt at peace. Nothing did happen that day, but he knew there was a reason. So he went back home at ease. Uh, other times that things didn't agree, he felt like he had done something wrong. But this time he said, I felt fine. He went home. And then the next time the priest came to town to celebrate Mass, the priest took him aside and said, I need you to do me a favor. And Bernardo said, whatever you say, and I want you to go to the pasture with me. So mm-hmm. they go, just the two of them, to the pasture. And the priest just go, uh, says, this uh, stands at the site where she appeared and said, this is where she appeared to you, isn't it? Mm. He goes, yes, exactly on this site. And he goes, and this is where, he, he narrates events as, as if he had seen them. And then uh, Bernardo says, how do you know these things? And the priest said, on the day she was supposed to appear here, she brought me here in my dreams. Oh. (laughs) And I saw everything. And at that point on, the priest was a believer. He went, spoke to the bishop. Uh, They they questioned Bernardo. They wrote down anything, and they found nothing to be out of line with church Mm -hmm. doctrine at all. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, it was pretty much destined for church approval. Wow. 
And uh, and then in 1982, uh, my notes say that that is when the approval was first given uh, mm-hmm. to the apparition. So mm-hmm. um, that that's incredible. And I, I have I have a note uh, written here on October 13th, 1980. This may this may be legend, and and maybe you have some details, and maybe you don't. But um, that Our Lady appeared to the crowd of 50 people there, and they witnessed her. Is is that? Is that something that you you've heard or you've read or heard from Bernardo, or is that uh, inaccurate? No, no, I've actually that's that's what closes the novel, that last op- apparition. Tell us about that the the apparition with the fifty people, please. Well, uh, uh, they were gathering a crowd. They were beginning to uh, people wanted to see her, and uh, and Bernardo kept on begging her, "Let yourself be seen, please, because they're here. They're believers. They want, you know. I don't want them. I, please, mm-hmm. I want somebody to know that I'm not crazy." And she kept on telling him, "No, no, no. You know, yeah, uh, <laughs> you believe me. Let those of faith will 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 believe you too. It's not. They don't need to see me." But then um, there were 50 people that day. Uh, there were some rain clouds overhead, but the, uh, the, and they were showing no signs of leaving. But um, they all started to pray the ro- rosary, and after the third mystery, he he would feel a giddiness whenever before she appeared. Mm. He said all of a sudden he'd start feeling this something inside. He could only describe it as what we would call giddiness. Um, an excitement. So they finished that rosary. He felt the giddiness of the third mystery. And then suddenly, through the clouds, there was a circle of light that descended upon them. And the brightness of this circle of light enclosed the entire group. It was like a glowing halo, he described it. Mm. And he looked around and he saw that every single person that was there was looking up towards the sky. Everybody was seeing this, uh, uh, the lights. And um, then towards the sun, they look and it was like a bright crimson red ball that was hovering above the hills. Well, they they thought it was the sun, but it wasn't the sun because the sun would have been directly overhead. It was close to noontime, so they didn't. No one understood what that other orb was there over the hills. Then a drizzle began to fall, uh, but none of them got wet. They, and they explained that you know they were touching their clothes and they were amazed. They were telling each other, "Touch your clothes, touch your clothes. We're not getting wet, and it's raining." Wow. And. Uh, then he looked around and he saw that the light, there was a circle of light surrounding everybody that was there. And then he looked towards the heaven again, he saw the first flash. And everyone there gasped. Everyone saw the burst of light. And then an instant later, there was a second flash. There were always two flashes. And then there she was. There was the cloud descending upon uh, upon the the... And the the morisco tree, and it was her as beautiful as ever. And he was telling them. He asked them, "Do you see him? Do you see him?" And a four-year-old girl said, uh, "Began." Well, no. What happened first was a four-year-old girl started running towards her, and 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 the mother was very startled because she said, "I don't know what she's running towards," but the girl with her arms wide open must have seen her. And was just mm-hmm. running towards her. The mother went and grabbed her away, and 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 the mm-hmm. girl said, "Mother, 
this beautiful lady is calling me. Please let me go. I want to be with mm. her. And at that point, there was a murmur in the crowd. Some people started crying. Some people reported seeing her. There were about five who said that they saw her. What they all saw was the manifestation of light. What they all mm. saw was the orb. What they all experienced was rain coming on them, and they're not mm -hmm. wet. Sure. A four-year-old girl running towards her saying, this beautiful woman's calling me. And then mm -hmm. at that moment said, we saw her. We saw her. And, um, and that was the last time. And she told Bernardo, not everybody can see me. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, and that's the way it's always going to be. Wow, oh, that's a, that's a beautiful description of that event, and and you you include that at the end of the, of your book. You you mentioned the, as well. The, the book ends with the with, it, it, that's called the last apparition, the final apparition, and uh, then she never appeared. Uh, Bernardo said that she would come once in a while to just have little conversations with him, but it was just private, not intended for anybody else. But uh, but that was the last time that she had something a message for him to give to to the public. Now that that is that is incredible. And tell tell us a little bit about your book. Uh, it, this is a novel based on the messages and the experiences of Bernardo. Tell us a little bit how you uh, structured the book and and when you read it, and when somebody reads it, what what do they what do they learn about Our Lady of Clapa from reading the book? Mm -hmm. Well. Since I come from a background of academic literature, I'm always looking at structures of novels. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite writers is uh, a Dominican-American named Julia Alvarez. And she wrote a novel called Yo, in which there's a storyteller. Uh, it's a sequel to a previous novel called How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents. And in Yo, the tables are turned on the storyteller of the first novel. Now everybody's angry at her for spilling their secrets. Mm. So they now are going to tell stories about her, and okay. she loses control of the storytelling process. Okay. And I thought it was brilliant, because there are something like 16 different characters uh, who tell their version of how her storytelling, her, her lies, impacted them. And I said, that's, uh, and, uh, and it goes in that way. You know, they, it's, every chapter is a different character that tells something about how this other character touched them. And mm. you get it from so many different perspectives. And I said, this is, this is the structure I need, because what, one thing Bernardo did say to me is, you know, I came, I told the stories of the apparition, and then I lost control of the stories. Everybody mm. started inserting what they wanted to see in the apparitions, mm. uh, either critical of them or embracing them and... And, and spinning them in, in, in directions that I never anticipated. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is wonderful. Bernardo feels like he lost control of the storytellers, yet he brought this beautiful story. So the way sure. the novel structured, there are s seven incidents of uh, apparitions or near apparitions, mm -hmm. so I, which, which, which he dictated to the church, and the church put out as a booklet, and that's available in Nicaragua. So this is where I took the, uh, the verbatim narration that he does of the apparitions. Mm -hmm. But then in between, there are two characters that have been touched by events in Nicaragua in which Bernardo plays sometimes a little part, sometimes a very big part. And so it will start, but it goes chronologically. It starts in 1931 when Bernardo was born. Mm-hmm. And it goes on until the year uh, 2000 when he died. Mm -hmm. 
It ends with his death. But all throughout, he lived through a lot of Nicaraguan history. Uh, and and since, his, uh, since his vision played such a big role in the 1980s, which was such a critical time in Nicaraguan history, it, it, it was easy to just tell Nicaraguan history, but with Bernardo always there as somebody who was touched by the events. Very good. So you were able to weave in Nicaraguan history in the telling of Bernardo's story. Yes, there's yeah. a lot of Nicaraguan history in the in the telling of Nicara uh, of Bernardo's story, uh, and I try to tell it with humor because the Nicaraguans are very humorous people. So there's a lot of moments where you just chuckle at what things people believe and what people say, but there are also some moments that can send chills down your down your spine. Moments of of torture, moments of death, moments of uh, uh, I mean, violent death through revolution. Mm-hmm. But there are also miracles that happen. That leave sure. you in, in, in wonder. So, and I'm, I'm sure we have uh, many listeners here who are interested in reading your book. Uh, we're talking with Silvio Sirias, he's the author of Bernardo and the Virgin. And and tell us, uh, Silvio, where can they find uh, find this book? Uh, the best place to find it is Amazon. Okay. It was released by Northwestern University Press, and uh, but also if if uh, there's an independent bookstore they'd like to go to and support the independent independent booksellers, they could just tell them to order Bernardo and the Virgin. It's the only book by that title. And uh, they'll order it for them. Well, wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show today. Uh, Your your details and history of this apparition and the story were amazing. So thank you for sharing that with us, and uh, wish you a happy Easter, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again someday on the show. Thank you very much. I'd be delighted to, Michael. Thank you very much. God bless you. And that was author Silvio Sirias uh, joining us today, talking about his book, Bernardo and the Virgin. Fascinating stuff. Uh, You can find more about uh, Our Lady of Quapa on MiracleHunter.com as well. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep us up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world by visiting 365dayswithmary.com. Here's wishing you and your loved ones a blessed and joy-filled Easter. Thank you for joining me on The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.